one constant through all the years, Ray. Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career right there. Just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, but watch out world. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're able to spend a little time with us. This is the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson, and joining me is Zach Barletta after a week away with family. You can follow us on your favorite social media platform. Our handle is at BTG Program. Give us a follow on Twitter or stop by our website sometime, btgprogram.com. Let's get into the show for just a couple of minutes, Zach. Talk a little NHL hockey, the playoffs have been outstanding. How fun was it the other night? I know your Rangers weren't playing, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But there were two game sevens, Mm -hmm. the Ducks and the Oilers and the Penguins and the Capitals. And those games didn't disappoint. Oh, no. They were tremendous. They were sort of a reflection of what this whole postseason has been. Just exciting, fun to watch, action-packed, great games. I know the NBA outdraws the NHL, but... The NBA playoffs have not been nearly as exciting, and, and that's partly because the Cavaliers and the Warriors are so dominant. Yeah. But the NHL playoffs have been great. Even the Rangers. They lost to Ottawa, and I got to get your input. You're the world's oh, that, one of the world's biggest Ranger fans. That wound is still very raw. Look, when we talked about, and we did a couple of times throughout this NHL season, how many t- Canadian teams would make the playoffs, would any Canadian teams make the playoffs, when you look at the final fours for, for hockey, you look who's in the Western finals, you look who's in the Eastern finals, and you see the Ottawa Senators there. Who in the world would have thought that? Yeah, you definitely do a double and triple take when you see them. When there. you're talking about Canadian teams, there's at least three or four others you would have thought would have been there long before the yeah. Ottawa Senators. And you know what? I don't think anybody, myself included, and I've been higher on the Oilers than most, I don't think anybody saw the Oilers getting one game away from the conference finals either. And played a pretty terrific game. Yeah, absolutely. They were beaten by a very good Anaheim Ducks team. Is anybody going to be surprised if Anaheim goes on and wins the Stanley Cup? I don't think so. I would be surprised, but just because I really like what the Predators are doing. I got to root for the Predators at this point. We talked about it when P.K. Subban was traded, Mm -hmm. what that meant to... Really, both organizations, the Predators and, and the Canadians who lost. I mean, they got Shea Weber in exchange. Yeah. That's not the same thing. No. Shea Weber is much older P.K. Subban. So, I mean, the, the, yeah, and at this point, not nearly as good. Yeah, the Predators clearly <laughs> won that trade. Absolutely. But tell me about your Rangers. What went wrong? Because they lost to an auto to a team that I thought they were much better than. You and, and I think everybody else just assumed that the Rangers were going to. Well, you said it a couple of, weeks ago. You said that somebody told you, you know, the Rangers have the easy path. Well, I think that's what you said. Yeah, well, all of the, the NHL talking heads kind of said, oh, the Rangers have, you know, they got through Montreal and they've avoided having to face Pittsburgh or the Capitals or anybody. They got the easiest possible route through the playoffs. And they thought, you know, Ottawa's a young team. They've been playing well. They weren't really supposed to be here, so they're playing with house money. And I think I said to you off the air today, 
You may give the Rangers the easy path, but they will refuse to take it. <laughs> they will make things as hard as they can. And I just looking at this series, I thought, you know, you cannot write Ottawa off because it, there, there's no when you get to this point, there's no sure things. And sure enough, the uh, Rangers had the series; it was theirs to win multiple times, and they gave it away. And it's interesting you say it that way, that it was theirs to win. They lost it in six games. Mm-hmm. But they, I mean, two games that they lost, they had the lead going into the last few minutes of the game. And what frustrates me is that the uh, the, the, the coach, Elaine Vigneault, has players that he loves, that they're, that are veterans, that he trusts, that just can't do the job. And he will put those guys out on the ice at the end of games to protect leads that they're not capable of protecting, and it bit them twice in this series. The Rangers, they didn't score enough goals. Well, clearly, obviously, if you don't score enough goals, you're going to lose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's pretty logical. No, they, they didn't get uh, some of their guys, J.T. Miller, Kevin Hayes, guys that were some of their most important and leading scorers throughout the season, kind of vanished a little bit in the playoffs. And it was remarkable to me that they played as well as they did through the Montreal series and for most of the Ottawa series despite not getting production from some of their better scorers. And you thought if they could advance and turn that around, they'd be a team to be reckoned with. But they never really got it figured out. They showed a lot of grit, I thought, in that Montreal series. Mm -hmm. Grit that I didn't see against Ottawa. If anything, as you say, they they blew some leads. Mm -hmm. And it was almost as if they folded up and went away. Whereas against Montreal, they really came up big when they had to. I don't know what changed in one series. And I give a lot of credit to the Senators. I guess if you're the Penguins, I, I'd watch out for them. Yep. They're I don't, playing pretty good. I don't want to be one of those fans that just laments, oh, oh, they didn't win, we gave it to them. Ottawa was the better team. They outplayed the Rangers, and they deserve to be the ones facing Pittsburgh. Coming up on today's program, we're going to talk about the Mets situation in regards to Matt Harvey. What are they going to do? He apologized, but was it sincere? Should they expect things to be any different? We'll talk about that, and specifically, what is a genuine apology? Plus, LeBron James has simply been dominant. Dominant. He's been, he's head and shoulders above anybody mm-hmm. else. Are you ready to say that he's the greatest of all time? Is he better than Michael Jordan? We'll talk about how dominant LeBron has been throughout the postseason so far. And after that humorous incident, I thought it was humorous anyway, with Toronto Raptors guard Norma Powell, how that sometimes people really don't want your help, but life Life is just made better by people helping people. And, of course, we'll have shenanigans. You like that. And we'll see whatever else we have time to fit in in the next 60 minutes or so. I hope you'll stick around, settle in, spend the next hour or so with us. I'm Rick Benson. He's Zach Barletta. This is the Beyond the Game program. I can't seem to stand on my own feet. Who do you think when you have such a look on Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem. Covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that could pick up this radio station is somewhere Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, call Town & Country. Even raccoons or larger animals, call Town & Country. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem? Call Town & Country. 
Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs, so if you suspect a potential problem, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. And let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online, townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. Is here, Ram Sports Network, Christian Sports Television. That's right, Christian Sports Television. Ram Sports Network is the first Christian sports TV channel with programming from Pee to the pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition, sports missions, western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at ramsportsnetwork.com or find us on the Roku Channel Store. Ram Sports Network, more than a game. Welcome back in. Thanks for joining us. Mixing sports with faith, this is the Beyond the Game program. Last week during our shenanigans statement, the, the statement was made that Isaiah Thomas is the guy whose team is most depended upon for playoff success. Now, I agreed with the statement, although I, I said then that that's a very difficult statement because each team depends on their star. They have a need for their star. Yeah. Uh, you and Darren, though, who was in last week while you were away, you called in and you said shenanigans on the statement, as did he, saying that without LeBron, the Cavs go nowhere. And you're probably right, though I felt like Cleveland has some guys who can carry the weight. Obviously, there's not a second LeBron James on the team. There isn't a second LeBron James anywhere on the planet. But guys like Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, I still kind of think the Cavs would be okay without LeBron, more so than Boston would be okay without Isaiah Thomas. Mm -hmm. But LeBron James in this postseason has been simply amazing. He has just amped it up another level. He's been tremendous. And frankly, going into the playoffs, I wasn't sure Cleveland was all that great. They didn't end the season playing so well. They definitely kind of stumbled into the playoffs, but they turned it around in a hurry. I, I didn't think anybody outside Boston, I don't think anybody outside Boston, thought that the Cavs wouldn't come out of the East. But they just weren't great. We all still thought the Cavs were going to be the team, mm -hmm. but they just weren't great. Since the playoffs began, as you just said, they, they've kicked it in. They've gone to another gear, and LeBron James has been just tremendous. Cleveland's rolled through the first two series without a loss. LeBron is averaging, averaging eight more points a game than the 26.3 points he put up last year during their title run. That's the second highest average in his career, which now has a dozen postseason appearances in a 14-year career. That's pretty astounding. That's pretty good, right? That's good success. Granted, it's only been eight games so far this season, but he's only one point off his all-time highest scoring average, postseason scoring average of 35.3 done back in 2009. LeBron James is so dominant, regardless of what team he's on, that ESPN's Mark Stein suggested in a tweet this week that Raptors guard Kyle Lowry, set to be a free agent once the NBA season officially comes to a close, he's reportedly strongly considering a move to the Western Conference, according to Stein, just to get at, away from LeBron's control in the East, which is absolutely silly, isn't it? I mean, that's ridiculous. The West is so much better. Well, 
you still have the Warriors out west, and, and of course it remains to be seen if they can dominate for multiple years like LeBron's teams have, but it brings up an interesting point. Darren sent us in a group text a, a meme, and, and what it basically was was the Western Conference were pictured like some gladiator movie. I forget <laughs> what the scene was, yeah. but there was knights and warriors, and then the Eastern Conference playoffs were likened to the sound of music, and I'm I'm just not so sure I'm on board with that. At the beginning of the season, I thought the Western Conference was so much stronger. But does any team, Houston, San Antonio, nobody's going to beat the Warriors. What is so? They're just, they're very good teams. I don't think they're great teams. So I'm not so sure that coming out of the West, there's anybody had any more chance of beating the Warriors than any of the teams in the East do of beating the Cavs. In fact, I think Boston, even Washington, has as good a chance of a San Antonio or a Houston as it does every single season. The debate about LeBron James, is he the greatest player ever, always seems to kick up dirt this time of year. Is he greater than Michael Jordan? And I'm convinced that for the most part, if you're under 30 years old, you probably think LeBron is the greatest player ever. If you're over 30, then you're going with Michael Jordan. And maybe that number's 35, but I think you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. This is a generational thing. There's an yeah. age line somewhere that, depending on whether you're above or below it, you're going to be a LeBron or you're going to be a Michael guy. I still think Michael Jordan's the greatest player that's mm -hmm. ever played the game. But there again, I'm just a little beyond that 35-year-old mark. The reason I've always gone with Michael is because he had he had that certain something, that certain savoir-faire where at any moment he could just put the team on his shoulders and seemingly will them to a victory. Mm -hmm. Early on, I had not seen that LeBron in LeBron James. We've talked about this, but I said this last year, during that title run a year ago, I saw a different LeBron James. I saw a guy that started to do some of those things that Michael Jordan's done. And again, so far this postseason, I, I'm seeing LeBron James do those things. Mm -hmm. uh, he is so far better than everybody else that, it, that it's just laughable. Michael made a ton of money in endorsements, not only because he was the greatest player in the game, but because he was very likable. He was likable to the general public. And LeBron, he's also obviously made a ton of money in endorsements, but not, not so much because he's likable, because he is such a dominant player. Mm -hmm. But even that's beginning to change. As he's, he's shrinking that gap between him and Michael. He's becoming, at least in appearance to me, I think he's becoming more likable. How could you not like what he did in that game against uh, in Game Three against the Raptors, as Raptors guard no Norman Powell was heading to the bench thinking he was coming out of the game? LeBron pulls him back by his jersey, saving him from a technical foul. Had Le had Powell reached the bench, it would have amounted to an illegal substitution. Powell though he swats LeBron's hand away. They get into a little staring match, a little words exchange, nothing really significant, but. Apparently, Powell didn't appreciate the help from LeBron. Powell said, I told him not to pull my jersey if he's trying to get my attention. Call my name. Call my number. But don't do that. Don't pull my jersey like that. It feels like that's a little disrespectful. You know what I'm saying. Like, you're trying to sun me, and I don't go for that. That's going to be my new catch phrase. You're trying to sun me, and I don't go for that. I don't go for that. <laughs> If you ask me, it just seems like Powell may have got embarrassed a little bit, yeah. showed up a little bit, took a little shot to his pride, don't you think? Yeah, I, I look, at, I'm a casual fan. I don't know who Norman Powell is, but I know who LeBron is. 
He plays for your favorite team. Not only, I guess, because Powell was embarrassed, but the whole team was embarrassed by the Cavaliers. You know, and I'm sure that added a little bit to the tension. There was one point in, in Game One where LeBron James just he was so relaxed. He pretended to be sipping from a bottle. You know, as if he's just enjoying a day at the beach. He also spun the ball in his hands right in the face of Serge Ibaka before sending it through the net for a three-pointer during Game 2. I mean, he was obviously just toying with the Raptors. And these are the sorts of things that Michael Jordan did. Fans, they love it. They eat it up. Opposing players, eh, they don't, not so much. That's exactly right. After Game 3 and that incident with Powell... James gave it to Drake a little bit, too, asking him, where are we headed tonight? Margarita's on me. Who is Drake, anyhow? <laughs> who? Is, seriously, who is this guy? I mean, does every NBA team have this pseudo-celebrity who people know their name but really isn't? I mean, the Knicks have Spike Lee. Right. And, look, it seems like a very likable guy, nice guy. But what has he done other than commercials? Does he... He's a movie maker, right? He's a director? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen one of his movies? Are they any good? Not that I know of. I I have no idea. I'm willing to bet that I haven't, but I wouldn't right. know if I did. Yeah. But my point is, who are these stars that go to these games? Everybody knows who Jack Nicholson is. Yeah. He goes to the Lakers game. Look, you can point to You can name Jack Nicholson movies. I can't name a Spike the Lee movie. The funny thing with Drake is he kind of has this reputation for just attaching himself to whatever team is winning at the time. So how he <laughs> well, ended up in Toronto, I'm really not sure. Uh, that was what I was just going to ask. I think he's from there. Sometimes people, they don't want your help. Clearly Powell didn't want LeBron's help. I had this weird dream last night, and you should know that I very, very rarely remember my dreams. And even more rare is that there's a celebrity in them. But my dream, my, my dreams are just boring. They involve regular people doing regular things. And yeah, I guess I save the world a lot of the time. But you know, those are just my dreams. The last dream I remember, I went to the dentist. Those are these are the kind of dreams that I have. I think we're in the same camp here. Apparently, we are. But I had this dream last night where Will Smith was jacked up at some event I was having at my house. And there again, we never have events at our house. But here's Will Smith jacked up. Somebody found drugs on him. And they gave the drugs to me. And this is a true story. I couldn't believe that, that we're talking about this when this I had this dream. And, of course, I wouldn't give the drugs back to him. He's jacked up anyway. I'm, I'm just trying to help him. And here's Will Smith getting all worked up about it, you know, going from angry to crying Will Smith to angry Will Smith. And uh, I'm like, Prince Will Smith. I, well, I'm trying. Hey, man, I'm just trying to help you. How are you going to fly an alien spacecraft and save the Earth from an invading space species all jacked up on whatever drug you're jacked up on. So that's a logical argument. I'm with you so far. But he didn't want my help. I should have called the police, I guess, and had them take Will Smith's drug addict fanny out of my house. But people don't always want your help. It can be a very difficult thing at times to know when to help, when not to help. And you know, Zach, as a parent of young kids, you can't do everything for your kids. They need to learn. So there are times you, you need to not help them. Let them do things on their own. Let them gain confidence that they can do things on their own. Things maybe they never thought they could. There's also times very, very difficult. You know, times when someone needs to be broken of their dependence on you or on, or on something and 
your help would be more harmful than good. These are very mm-hmm. difficult things to then, you know, it just tears at you as you watch them go through this thing and you know that you just, it's best if you don't help. But other than these few teachable moments, it's always good to help people. It's always good to serve other people. And there are people who serve and serve and serve, but they don't think they do anything at all. They just think, I I don't do much. And you see these people always serve. And there's others who hardly move out of their way to help somebody, but they think their their sacrifice of servanthood is of a historical proportions. You know, the, it's funny people's perspectives. But the Bible has much to say about serving others. Jesus talks specifically about the humility of servanthood. Matthew 23, verses 11 and 12 says, But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. And Jesus knew about servanthood. Well, of course he did. He's God, right? So he knows. But he also served each one of us by paying for our sins with his very life. Matthew twenty twenty eight. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I actually need to be careful, Zach, when it comes to servanthood. I, I like I'm a, I like to stay busy. I'm just I like to do stuff. I like to stay busy. I don't like to sit around. I get up early. I I start to get antsy if I'm not doing something something productive shortly thereafter. I just like to stay stay busy. So the the traps I can run myself into is one. I'm just not able to slow down or relax. I can't. Uh, I, I need to make sure I'm not cheating my family of the time that they deserve, and I need to make sure I'm not cheating God of the time that I should be giving him. You know, I don't want to be giving God just whatever I have left over. But the second problem I can create, people like me can create, people who like to stay busy, is that my service to God and, and my service to other people is not with the right motives. It's really more for me because I like to be busy, or it's just I am busy, so I'm doing something. I'm not really putting much thought or much heart into it. I have to ask myself, is my service done with a cheerful heart? Do I serve in the church just out of an obligation? Do I, you know, could it, could I be doing this as a competition? I want to do more than you're doing, Zach. So if you're doing six things, I'm going to do seven. I got to be careful about that. And you know, maybe trying to impress somebody. I got to ask myself, am I trying to be impressive? Is I hoping somebody notices me? I think these things are healthy to ask ourselves from time to time, just as a sort of self-checkup. But busy people can get ourselves so overly involved in serving obligations that we we miss divine appointments that God sends our way. And God gives us opportunities to help people, but we miss them because we're busy doing something else that, while it may be good, might not be as important. We're busy moving papers around our desk, but not really making an impact on the lives of others. I heard a preacher. He compared some people in the church to those toy steering wheels and dashboards that you hang over the front seat so the kids can play play with them in the back. (laughs) He'd say they make noise, they do lots of things, but they're not really accomplishing anything. And as Christians, we need to guard against that sort of thing and make sure that we're having a positive impact on people's lives, not just being busy with things that don't really matter. Now, be careful. I'm not saying that certain jobs aren't important. I'm not saying things like taking out the trash isn't a significant service. Certainly it is. But when we fail to help somebody, 
because we're too busy taking out the trash to even notice that somebody needs help, well then, then we're sort of missing the point. I want to serve others with a passion, uh, with a passion to serve God. That's how we ought to go about service. Because we love God, we're willing to serve others with, with a passion. Jesus did his miracles with a passion. He, he loved people with a passion. But he also did it with compassion. And he asked us to do likewise. And that's at the heart of the great commandment of John fifteen twelve. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. We need to take the time. We need to be humble. We need to love people. And as hard as they can make it sometimes, because people are people, mm-hmm. we need to love people. You know, remember, when it comes to volunteering, to serving others with our time, it's really God's resources, though, isn't it? It's not our own. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. When we serve others, when we take the time to help people, it glorifies God. God is pleased when we use our time, when we use our skills in that way. We're going to take a break. I want to thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for being part of the Beyond the Game program. I'm Benson. He's Zach Barletta. We'll be back right after this. Let's look at this week's Red Hawks report for our broadcast on May 13th, 2017. The Red Hawks report is presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. The school year has passed, and though there are no games to report this week, there were a few Roberts Wesleyan players receiving honors. Senior goalkeeper for the men's lacrosse team, Keith Keane from Penfield, New York, right outside Rochester, has been named to the East Coast Conference All-Conference Second Team. Keane started in all 16 games, making 192 saves on the season, recording double-digit saves nine times. The women's lacrosse team saw two from its roster named ECC All-Conference, Senior Cassidy Joukowsky was named All-Conference First Team, while fellow senior Shannon Knapp earned Second Team honors. We've mentioned Joukowsky's name quite a bit as we reported the highlights each week. She led the conference in overall points with 118, recording 83 goals and 35 assists on the season. Joukowsky was the conference's top-ranked scorer. As did Keane for the men, Knapp started in goal for all 18 of her team's games and led the league in overall saves with 201. Congratulations to each of you for your strong performances this season. That's our Red Hawks report for this week, May 13th, 2017. The Red Hawks report is presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. Follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter, at RWC Red Hawks, or for the latest scores, news, and highlights, visit the RWC Athletics website, athletics.roberts.edu. This has been the Red Hawks report presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu.
Welcome back into the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson along with Zach Barletta. All right, Zach, let's get into this week's shenanigans statements. All right, former NHL star Ilya Kovalchuk will return from Russia's KHL to play in the NHL again next season. I agree. I mean, more often than not, these rumors just don't come out of nowhere. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes they do, but most of the time they don't. The Devils sure have been talking like it's a done deal that he's going to be playing in the NHL. We still have a couple of months of it being a rumor because I guess he's got to re-sign with the Devils, and he can't do that till July 1st when free agency opens up. So, you know, for me, I, I, I think he, I agree. He's going to be back in the NHL, but to me it's less of a question of if he will or if he'll actually play for the Devils. Yeah, and I agree. I think that he will. I mean, there's there's nothing left for him to accomplish in the KHL at this point. He's He is, or at least he has been, one of the best players in the world for a long time. And the Devils own his rights for a long time. So his path to the NHL goes through the Devils. Um, I'm not really familiar with what their salary cap situation looks like, but they could use talent anywhere they could get it. So I think he might actually play for the Devils, but um, it would be interesting to see if they can work out a trade and maybe send him to Vegas and give them a really big-name player to showcase in their first season. Number two, six weeks into the season, Yankee slugger Aaron Judge is putting up MVP caliber numbers. So truth or shenanigans, at the end of the year, Judge will still be among the league's offensive leaders. I agree. I mean, teams can still make adjustments, and there's a number of teams that he hasn't seen yet. But his approach has been different. The way he's shortening Mm -hmm. up with two strikes on him, uh, he's an improved hitter from a year ago. And I think the confidence that he's playing with is only building with each week that he plays well, and that makes it more likely that Aaron Judge, this Aaron Judge is the one the Yankees counted on as opposed to what they saw briefly last season. Uh, I'm going to say shenanigans. Um, really? I, I think that he'll have a very good year. Um, he's demonstrated this ability for like six weeks now. So, you know, at this point, it's not it's it's a small sample size, but it's it's big enough that it, it does mean something. But I think that a guy his size, pitchers are going to find a hole somewhere in his swing to exploit. And he's shown the ability, as you said, to sort of make the adjustments on the fly. Um, I think he'll be a very good hitter, but I think the pace that he's on is just is is sort of above what I have expected from him this year. I think he'll take a little step back. He'll be productive, but I I don't expect to see him leading the league in home runs at the end of the year. I think he'll be up there. I think he'll be among those leaders, but we got a long way to go, don't we? It's still very early. Number three, the New York Mets are toast. What do you think? I say yes. Uh, <laughs> you couldn't we'll, wait to say we'll, yes. we'll talk more about this later in the show but uh, I mean this is a team that's built around their pitching staff and for good reason because their pitching staff for the last few years has been one of the best in baseball but you look at Matt Harvey as a shell of himself Noah Syndergaard ignored the team's instructions to get an MRI now he's out for several weeks um, they just used a guy for a spot start and then let him go to another team through waivers. I mean, they're, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel at this point. And the, the starting pitching that was supposed to be a strength is just in shambles right now. Their lineup is not strong enough to carry this team, I think, if they don't get this pitching back. I, I'm going to say shenanigans. I, I don't think they're toast. It is a talented roster, and there are some hitters spread throughout there. But 
they have terrific pitching. Uh, we've talked about it a number of times, you and I, Zach. It's been highly praised pitching without really having have accomplished anything as mm-hmm. of yet, but there's no doubt that the potential is there. I, the Nationals have played great, mm-hmm. and, and though the Mets are playing better, I, I keep believing in the Nats every year. Uh, Mets are playing better than they have been, I should say. I, I keep believing in the Nats, and I keep getting burned, but I, I still do. I think the wild card, though, for the Mets uh, is a very real possibility. I, I'm not sure they'll catch the Nationals. Or and again, we're saying this in May, beginning mm-hmm. of May, a lot of a lot of time left. But no, I don't think Latosa. One of the reasons for that is the reason I bring up the wild card. We've seen in recent years how the wild card keeps teams alive. Yeah, a lot of teams alive to the last part of the season. I see no reason that a team right around 500 can't be in the wild card hunt. And then if their pitching does actually finally accomplish what they've so highly praised for in a playoff series, I think the Mets could still make some noise. So I don't think they're total shenanigans. Baseball is more interesting when both the New York teams are good. So I hope that they find a way to stay in it until they get Syndergaard back. Number four, new Buffalo Bills general manager Brandon Bean was the best candidate for the job. I agree. Now, I don't truly know if he was or wasn't because I don't know enough about him or any of the other candidates, really. But from what I've read, the people in Carolina were really big on him. Mm -hmm. They really had a lot of nice things to say, a lot of high praise. And based on that, it's tough to think he wasn't the best candidate. But really what I'm going to say, the reason he was the best is because he and and new head coach Sean McDermott, they've already got a working relationship. Mm -hmm. They already know each other. I, I think that's a good higher for the Bills. And that's really something that has been lacking in Buffalo. Is As much as I did like Doug Whaley during his time here as a general manager, he clashed with every head coach yeah. that came through the door while he was here. Or at least the newspaper reported it that way. It's good to see a coach and a GM that have worked together, that are on the same page. If you're going to start to turn a franchise around, that's been bad for as long as the Bills have. It's very important that everyone is pushing and pulling in the same direction. So I liked the hire. He allegedly, uh, from what I've read, has experience in every facet of the front office, from drafting to scouting to the salary cap to contracts. So he seems like the perfect guy, and I really love the hire as well. Last but not least, looking at the four teams who advanced to the conference finals, this year's playoffs are proof that speed and skill have become more important than size and physicality. I agree here as well. I, I, I think it's proof of how the league's been evolving over the last few years. The days of the goon, uh, they're long gone. Oh, yeah. You know, they're way in the past. But you said speed is more important than size and physicality. And this league is filled with young stars. They fly up and down the ice, but they're not afraid to engage in physical hockey. Mm-hmm. This new young breed of player not only is fast, but they're they don't shy away from the contact. So I I agree it's it's speed and skill are more important, but physicality is still very much part of this game. It is, and I don't think it will ever be out of the game. It's it's an important part of the fabric of the game. It always has been. But I think that um like you said, uh the age of the goon is thankfully long gone. And um they've all retired and moved into the, the Department of Player Safety. But, but, um, I mean, not to interrupt you, although I just did. Um, you're right. The, it's the size thing that 
isn't as important anymore, don't you think? The physicality is still there. Mm -hmm. The speed is there. The talent, the skills are there. But I don't think you necessarily automatically have to be this huge guy just to get in the league. Right, yeah. You have to be physical enough to win your board battles and fight for pucks in the corners and things like that, drive to the net. That's never going to change. But the age of being on the ice simply to throw your weight around and and uh, drop the gloves with the other guys, the other team's guy who's just like you, who's a bad hockey player who throws his weight around, that's long gone. But you've and, said it a number of times. When those goons are getting beat on the ice and people are just flying past them, there's no spot for them. If I'm not putting yeah. a goon on the ice, your goon is going to get burnt. Absolutely, yeah. And, and that's something that I keep waiting for the Rangers to figure out <laughs> is, you know, that they're at their best when they have a fourth line that can score and play defense. And when you have a guy that you have to shelter with eight minutes a night because he's a pylon, that's that's just not going to win you hockey games. But getting back to the statement, if, if you look at the teams that are still alive in the playoffs – those are skilled teams. Those are offensive-minded teams. Those aren't the Bruins of a few years ago who just like to hit guys and wear you down night after night. It's, it's I think, proof that more than ever you need to be able to roll four fast, skilled lines to win hockey games. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to dig a little bit more into the New York Mets. We're going to talk specifically about Matt Harvey and, and his apology for uh, missing out on a game, just not showing up, going AWOL. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program. I'm Benson. He's Barletta. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Highlighting the stories and the people of faith. It's not a faith program that includes sports. It's a sports talk show rooted in faith-based principles. Welcome back to the show. Recording in the BTG studios in Rochester, New York. Here's your host, Rick Benson. Rick Benson along with Zach Barletta recording the Beyond the Game program from Rochester, New York. BTGprogram.com or at BTG program. We want to say hello to those listening from McLeod County in Minnesota with a number specifically from right around Hutchinson area listening in. Tokyo, Japan was where the most numerous international downloads of the program was last week. But wow. for the first time in a few weeks here in the U.S., it was not in the state of Massachusetts where most of our downloads came from. Hutchinson, Minnesota is the birthplace of Southwest Minnesota State Mustangs head football coach Corey Souter, who played NFL quarterback for a couple of years. He played for the Bears, the Lions, played with the Colts. I think he was originally with the Arizona Cardinals. For the most part, though, Bears, Lions, Colts, he had a specific geographic area he seemed (laughs) to have liked, although he did play for the Barcelona Dragons in the NFL Europe. Also born in Hutchinson and Star for Hutchinson High School basketball was the WNBA's Lindsey Whalen-Grieve, who currently plays for the hometown Minnesota Lynx. Country Western fans, and come on, really? 
Who who isn't a country western fan, right, Zach? Uh, well, me for one. Well, that's because <laughs> you don't know any better. They'll be familiar with the band Highway 101. Singer and founder of the band Paulette Carlson was born in Hutchinson. She's also enjoyed a very successful career as a songwriter with both Highway 101 and as a local, uh, not a local, but a solo artist. Hutchinson, Minnesota, just one of the many places throughout the country, around the world, who download the Beyond the Game podcast. If you would like to subscribe, find the show on iTunes or visit our website, btgprogram.com. Our entire history of broadcasts is archived there. Zach, the New York Mets. They always seem to find a way to, I, I, I don't know, be the New York Mets, yeah. you know? Mets go to Mets, right? The team that traded away the likes of Nolan Ryan and Tom Seaver for whatever reason just seems that if it weren't for bad luck, this team would have no luck at all. You know, look at the injuries they've had this year and just this week. Their closer now looks like they're going to lose him, familiar for a, a, a stretch of the season. The Mets just, man, and by now you're familiar with the Matt Harvey thing, having been suspended for three games by the team and missing a start. And we talked about Harvey on this program pretty much exactly one year ago when he refused to talk to reporters because he was upset about the headlines regarding his bladder infection. Uh, You may recall he, he claimed he talked about it being Due to not urinating frequently enough. I mean, the New York newspapers, if you're a struggling ball player, they are going to cover yeah. anything. Mm. You know, your urinary tract, well, that's open for discussion, I guess. At the time, Harvey had a self-imposed gag. He wasn't going to talk to the press, especially after subpar performances. And, and this one in particular, he had given up three home runs. I think it was the Nationals they were playing. Mets captain David Wright, giving Harvey some advice and then sharing that advice with the media, said, you want to be a stand-up guy, and this is a little blip on the radar screen. Hopefully we all learn from it and don't make the same mistake. That, that's why David Wright is the captain. That's leadership. You know, going to the guy and then sharing it and kind of giving him the message. You can read what he's saying here. Yeah. Uh, everybody kind of picks up on, look, Let's not make the same mistake again. Grabbing a young player, giving him advice, uh, calling him on the carpet a little bit, that that's what was needed. Uh, we said on the show, accountability being a key biblical characteristic. And as believers, we, we should all have someone in our life that we're accountable to, someone that cares enough to ask us tough questions. Whatever that tough question is, they can probe a little bit, and it's done out of care and it's done so that keeps us above reproach, keeps us from falling deeper into sin. And I remind you of this segment that we did a year ago, because fast forward now to this past week when Matt Harvey stood in front of teammates and got in front of the media and he apologized. A pitcher who is struggling to, to get back on track, and this guy is struggling, Zach. Instead of refusing to talk about this latest incident, he got in front of the mics. He admitted his mistake. He acknowledged the late night partying. He talked about playing golf the next morning and then, for whatever reason, skipping Saturday's home game at City Field. He repeatedly said that he was embarrassed by his behavior and said that he needed to make changes. And and we know saying sorry is just the first step toward mending a relationship. Saying I'm sorry, that's that's just the first step. And Harvey checked that box. He said, look, I, I am sorry. 
he's had a series of missteps. Is that what you want to call them over the years? Yeah. Missteps. There was uh, public dissatisfaction. Remember when he was injured and the team broke camp from spring training? They went north and he was left behind to rehab. He didn't want to do that in Florida, wanted to be part of that New York nightlife and said he wouldn't be distracted by all that dark night stuff that was being <laughs> circulated about him. Yeah. And we now, now we see that perhaps the Mets, maybe they knew best, as you and I said that they did. He also skipped a pre-playoff workout a couple of years ago. I don't, I don't remember when, maybe 2015, the, the refusal to talk to the media we just mentioned. And now add to this, this, what is a growing list puts the Mets in a difficult situation on what to do when it comes to a, a young guy with the kind of talent that Matt Harvey has. I mean, he's got a ton of potential. Yeah. A person close to Harvey said that he was upset and was still dealing with the breakup with supermodel Adriana Lima. I have no idea who that is. She's <laughs> a supermodel. Sounds interesting, I suppose, but I don't yeah. I don't know who she is. I imagine it would take me some time to get over that, too. <laughs> if I was dating a supermodel and we broke up, yeah, uh, I think it would take a little time. During his short career, though, Matt Harvey doesn't seem like a guy who deals with his baggage very well, whether it be I'm left behind to rehab an injury whether it be I don't want to talk to the media or break up with a supermodel. Going to the bathroom on time. Uh, or And often enough. <laughs> yeah. He said the right thing, though. He had his head down during the press conference. He, he, I mean, he seemed contrite. What do I know? But he seemed contrite. But for the Mets and their fans, uh, they've, they've heard this before from Harvey several times. For the team, the problem is they need him. They they need Matt Harvey to be Matt Harvey, and as long as they do, there'll be no there'll be no trade because they're not going to get value for him. So oh, they're not going to trade not. him. They'll be continue to be these multiple second chances because what else are they going to do? You know, the the Mets' focus simply has to be to get him right again. They have no other choice. So when when he goes to the mic and he expresses his regret, asking for another chance, talking about how things will be different this time. Why should the Mets believe him? Why should they think it would be any different? It really doesn't matter. That's the truth. It doesn't matter because they need him. And how is anyone to know? Who's to know if Matt Harvey is sincere in his apology, you know? I don't know his heart. Do you? No, of course not. You know, who's to know if he will really make changes this time? You don't. You can only move on, help him get get right, help him put the past into the past, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22 says, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. You get the point. Uh, just keep forgiving. I don't know his heart. Forgive him, move on, help him get to that next level, get beyond this. Uh, look, if the Mets think, if the Mets think they can get reasonable value for him, they think change is maybe best for him, best for them, then it becomes a, a business decision, not, not a personal one. Come next season, he's probably not going to be with the Mets anyway. But for now, Harvey, he took the necessary step, saying, I'm sorry. It's a hard thing to do. Uh, isn't that a Chicago song? 
you don't know. That's way before your time. <laughs> that's like the ni- early 1980s. Hard to say I'm sorry. That was a song by Chicago. I think it is, yeah. Yeah. I well, I know it is. <laughs> Saying It's hard to say I'm sorry to somebody, but he did that in, in a very public news conference. He did it. Saying I'm sorry, it just seems to be, for whatever reason, one of the hardest things for many of us to do. We have to admit our failures, and frankly, we all hate that. Nobody wants to admit their failures. But to build and maintain strong, healthy relationships, whether that be personal or in this situation, which is what the Mets and Harvey both want and need, it's it's very important. It's very it's a necessary step to apologize. And by the way, it's the first step to being forgiven of sins. Saying I'm sorry, we begin a right relationship with God when we admit our guilt and tell him that we're sorry. Genuine apologies are so difficult for us because it takes great humility to go to another person and ask for forgiveness. We have to make ourselves vulnerable by doing that. Will they forgive us? Will they not forgive us? Uh, the uncertainty frightens mm-hmm. us, terrifies us. First Peter 5.5 5 uses the phrase, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. In one commentary I read through, said that the word Peter used for clothe there refers to an apron. I, you know, I picture an art smock. It covers all your other clothes. And that's exactly the kind of humility that we need in approaching everything we do in life, especially when it comes to offering an apology. And so often we hear people, perhaps especially athletes, especially celebrities, offer apologies, which, man, Zach, they're anything but apologies. Yeah. I'm sorry if I offended anyone or, you know, all the the generic and, and vague stuff. A- absolutely there it's it's you know something i i'm sorry for something i may have done wrong or any hurt i may have caused you or what you said if i've done any that's not an apology the words are there but the humility's not you know, and i think that's that's the hardest part the i'm sorry that you got upset is another one i hear well don't be up sorry i got upset be sorry for causing me to get upset you know there's no personal responsibility taken in that sort of apology the purpose of an apology is to repent repent of a mistake repair a damaged relationship and matt harvey got through that first part he offered the apology at least based on what he said he recognized a mistake and and though it's not simple though it's not easy i should say it is simple i'm sorry I was wrong. It's simple. It's straightforward. It's not easy to do. This is different than just being sorrowful or sorry that you got caught. It's understanding a wrong. It's understanding the, the hurt and the problems that your actions may have caused somebody else. But the second part is even harder, and that's asking for forgiveness. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And so often this is where people miss out on a real relationship with God and, and with others, you know, okay, I was wrong. Let's move on. That's easy enough to do, but never actually asking for forgiveness, giving that other person the opportunity to wipe the slate clean. You know, the person needs to know what it is we're apologizing for and, and have that opportunity to grant clemency. Have you ever asked God to forgive you? Have you ever actually asked him? Have you said, I'm sorry for my sins? Will you forgive me? The third part is what the Mets don't know when it comes to Matt Harvey. And this is the changing part. Mm-hmm. Is he going to change? A- an apology is great. Being forgiven is even greater. Uh, 
But how good in his apology if if change never takes place? We must take whatever actions needed to make sure that we do not keep committing the same offense again and again and again. There's three significant parts to a true apology. Saying I'm sorry, asking forgiveness, and then making changes to accomplish this. We have to have humility. We have to make ourselves vulnerable, which, as I said, nobody likes to do. What if we get rejected? What if they want don't want to forgive us? And that's always a possibility. You know, it could be that the other person was hurt so much that they're not necessarily looking for a restored relationship, or maybe they're not ready for that restored relationship. And we have to be willing to accept that. And But it doesn't take our, away our responsibility to at least apologize and ask for forgiveness. And if the person chooses not to or not to at this time, well, that's up to them. But here's something, though, and that, that, that's only true with people. If you go to God seeking forgiveness with a genuine apologize, a genuine apology, he will always forgive. He wants to forgive you of your sins, so much so that he provided a way of redemption. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. John 3.16, very familiar, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And regardless of what you've done, God is ready to forgive. A broken relationship is restored with repentance, and repentance starts with a humble and genuine apology, saying I'm sorry, asking forgiveness, and then making changes. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's, about, that's what a faith in Christ is, being forgiven of sins. If you want to know more about a faith in Christ, you can reach out through our website, reach out through Facebook or Twitter. If you want somebody to pray for you, you can even leave an anonymous, anonymous message on our studio line, 585-431-1202. Along with Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. Do you know an athlete whose participation in athletics is vital to their college choice? Then consider telling them about Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We field 17 varsity sports and offer the only NCAA D2 program in Greater Rochester. Our teams have won six conference titles and reached three NCAA national championship appearances. Help the athlete you know to take their game to the next level. Visit roberts.edu. And now it's time for the most awesome thing I saw this week. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of the team. I don't believe what I just saw. Yes, that's awesome. 
The most awesome thing I saw this week was a catch made by a redshirt sophomore catcher for Grand Canyon University. I believe they were playing Seattle University, and I'm never going to be able to explain it so that the play is as good in your mind as it is seeing it on video. But Griffin Barnes fields a bunt attempt, which has popped up into the air by what seemed to be intentionally batting it back up in the air, not once, but twice with his right hand in order to be able to catch it in the mitt on his left hand. The ball bounces off Barnes's forearm, and then his bare hand almost looked as if he was using the catcher's mask to back, bounce it back up in the air before being able to reach it with his glove. It was, it was an amazing catch. The most awesome thing I, I saw this week, see it for yourself. Google Griffin Barnes, Grand Canyon University. I'm sure it'll, I'm sure it'll come up. Proverbs 31, 28, her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises of her. Proverbs 31, 28, a very cool you like that in honor of Mother's Day. We've seen the cool videos and heard the accounts of the different ways players get scholarship reward news. We've shared a few of them with you over the years. East Carolina coach Scotty Montgomery set out to inform walk out def- walk on, excuse me, defensive end Keontae Anderson of his scholarship reward. Only instead of going to Anderson, he went to his mother. With Mother's Day only a few days away and knowing how much Anderson cherishes his mom, Montgomery showed up at Tia Chapman's job to tell her that he was giving her son a scholarship and allowed her the opportunity to give her son the news herself. If you haven't seen it, he gives her this thing, just says it's a Mother's Day gift. She doesn't really understand what she's getting, She's but she's polite. Thank you very much. Well, I'm glad you're here. And she opens it up and realizes it's a scholarship and just the weeping, the tear. It, it's tremendous. Oh, cool. Just tremendous. East Carolina coach Scotty Montgomery, his Mother's Day gift to Tia, Tia Chapman. That's what I like this week. What I liked this week was a tweet from the Pittsburgh restaurant Primanti Brothers, which if you go to Pittsburgh, you have to go there. It's just what you do. But they they tweeted today after the Penguins had eliminated the Washington Capitals in Game 7 to move on to the conference finals. They tweeted a video and they said, introducing our new drink, the Ovechkin. And basically what they do is they pour all the ingredients for the drink, the White Russian, but they just pour it straight onto the counter because there's no cup. It was it was hilarious. I've watched it probably three or four times. Check it out if you have Twitter. But that is what I liked this week. You like that? You like that? Well, I guess that's it for us. Thanks for being with us. This has been the Beyond the Game program. Be sure to check out the Myth and Mysteries podcast. If you enjoy myths, curious stories, and unsolved mysteries, then you will appreciate this podcast, which our producer Zach does with his brother. Myth and Mysteries, available on iTunes and Google Play. Or visit their website, mythandmysteriespod.com. Thanks again for being with us. Please consider partnering with our ministry of sharing the gospel through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website for more information, btgprogram.com. To all the moms out there, happy Mother's Day. To my mom, I love you, I miss you. And to my daughter graduating college today, I couldn't be any more pleased and proud of how hard you've worked and the person you've grown to become. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week right here at this same time. Be bold and be great this week, everybody.